Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Use those muscles in those legs. God gave you to stand. I'm going to be turning to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to be reading the first five verses of that chapter. Again, don't forget tonight, come be a part of this missions, commitment, service. Amen. The Bible says, 2 Samuel 18, verse number 1, And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands, captains of hundreds over them. David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai and the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittite and the king said unto the people I will surely go forth with you myself also but the people answered thou shalt not go forth for if we flee away they will not care for us neither if half of us die will they care for us but now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, now it is better that thou succor, which basically means help, help us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king I'm emphasizing that on purpose. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. The help of the Holy Ghost today I want to minister this for the next few moments. The Father's wish is the King's command. The Father's wish is the King's command. Hallelujah. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Father, I need you. I pray, God, that we could just find, Lord Jesus, the vein of your spirit in the next few moments. I pray, O oh Lord God, that you would lighten God tiredness, God, from bodies, Lord, today that can engage, Lord Jesus, with your holy word. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, mark every bit of air, Lord, from my mind and help me, God, to, Lord, speak, Lord, what I felt like, God, that you have dealt with me, Lord Jesus, this week, Lord, on. I pray, God, do it in a way in which, Lord, people can understand and grasp a concept and an idea. I pray, O oh Lord, today, Jesus, it's your word. It's your perfect word. I pray, O oh Lord, God, it's your word all by itself. It doesn't need propped up. 
God it's spoken just plainly spoken and it causes the Lord changes and alterations and demands attention I pray oh Lord today God let your word speak Lord to us Lord in this place and will not fail to thank you Lord for what you do here today in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen and the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning again the father's wish is the king's command many if not all of us today serve in several different capacities in our lives some are an employee a husband a son a father some are even hunters etc and the list could go on for each one perhaps differing a little bit there's some things that we hold commonalities to but there's other things that may be a little different as far as the capacities or the things that we involve ourselves in what roles that we have in this life there are even some setting among us today that that own a business others are are vice presidents of a company and in some spheres of our life you may be the authority in a certain position but at the same time in another sphere you may be under authority in a position and so David in scripture is no different from many of us this morning he served in many different roles and capacities in his life he served as king he served as a son he served as a musician he served as a composer of music he served as a brother a father, a warrior, and an armor bearer even at one time, just to name a few of David's roles that he served in. There were times even with those roles that I mentioned that he was the authority figure. He was the one where the buck stopped here, so to speak. But there were other times that he served in capacities where he was the submitted one, like when he was an armor bearer. But what, what makes these things somewhat complex, the complexity of these rows, they're, they're intensified when you are more than one row to a single individual. Things get a little complex whenever that happens. For instance, for years, my father was also my pastor. Yeah. My father was also my pastor. He's still my father. That's not changed. And he's definitely still an authority, spiritual authority figure in my life. But in situations like Absalom's, it's important to know when David was interacting with him as a father and when he was interacting or addressing him as the king. If you have ever been two rows to the same person you know how difficult it can be how difficult it can be to keep one row from bleeding over into the other row of of being the king when you needed to be the king and not the father or being the father and not letting the king side kind of meander over in that. It's very difficult sometimes to keep one from bleeding over into the other. And although whenever you are the person that may be two or even three maybe rose to the same person, it's hard to keep them separate. And there are some circumstances, I would believe, there are some circumstances that, that promote the mixing of maybe more than one row for a particular purpose or for a particular reason and David in our text this morning had succumbed to that he had succumbed to the intermingling the mixing of a couple of rows unto Absalom 
Because David was Absalom's father, but he was also Absalom's king. And the father figure of Absalom bled over into the kingly figure that David was to his son Absalom. The Bible says that David as king, everybody say king. David as king commanded the three captains of the three divisions of his army and said, deal gently with the young man, even with Absalom. He said, deal gently with him. And he says, the reason for this, he says, deal gently with him for my sake, with the young man, Absalom. Now, folks, if you begin to think about this just a little bit, that seems a little bit of an odd request for a king to make when someone has threatened to usurp his throne. When someone has, has attempted and threatened to usurp his authority and claim his kingdom. I believe almost any king that had such an adversary that was coming at him to take his throne or his, or his kingdom would not say, deal gently with that one right there. Amen. Uh, David saying that, it doesn't seem like very rational thinking right now at this time to, to, to say deal gently with someone who has gained the favor of his kingdom. Gained the favor of the people that worked close to him and next to him and had done it through craftiness. That just doesn't make sense for a king to say, hey, go easy on that guy, although he's got the attention and the favor of everybody that I'm a king over. Is everybody all right? Amen. Say amen. So the king was aware. He's quite aware of the mistakes of Absalom leading up to this moment in time. He's aware of his mistakes. He's aware of all of his baggage, so to speak. He's aware of his past. The king knew that Absalom's mother was a Gentile. He knew that her bloodline from, was from the Geshurites, which were a fierce and a very stubborn people. He knew, undoubtedly, there must have been some type of that stubbornness that got into that boy, Absalom. He knew that the lawlessness of his mother's side of the family, no doubt, in some way, genes or as genes are, had seeped in into the bloodline of Absalom. And for that matter, this incident wasn't the first time the king had to deal with Absalom's shenanigans, with Absalom pulling something, so to speak. Absalom, his history is this. He had conspired against his half-brother Ammon, and he had his half-brother killed, and the king had to deal with that before. Absalom, as I already said, won all the hearts of the men of the nation of Israel by basically telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. They came with their, 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 their problem and their conflict, and Absalom would pull the them aside and basically tell them you have a good matter you have a right matter you should be heard he he's just basically telling them what they wanted to hear and so the king has had to deal with that but now after 40 years Absalom by deception got leave to go to Hebron to pay supposedly was his reason to pay a vow but in reality he planned on taking the reign from King David. And so now in 2 Samuel chapter 18, everything is poised. Everybody is set in battle array against this imposter Absalom. He's killed his half-brother. He's stolen the hearts of the people. Now he's wanting to take the throne. Everybody, the kingdom is set in battle array against the imposter. And the king, the Bible says, the king commands, deal gently. 
Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. I'm scratching my head. What is going on? I mean, most kings would say, off with his head. <laughs> Take him to the gallows. Let him stand before the men and let them fire their weapons and let them just be a dead man. But this says, the king says, deal gently with the boy. Well, what is going on here? I believe what is happening here is as king, here's David. He, he's the chief magistrate of the land. He is, he is the law enforcer of the land. It's his duty to punish the man Absalom. Amen. Whenever Absalom had his brother murdered, the land of Israel, according to Scripture, was defiled. Amen. And Absalom forfeited his life the moment he had killed his half-brother. Here's what the Bible says in Numbers 35 and verse 33. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed. In other words, it says whenever a man has shed blood, he's defiled the land. And the only, the only cure for that is that the man who did the murder, the man who shed the blood, his blood should be shed. But nothing is seemingly done. Nothing seemingly happens. The Bible even says anybody that would smoke or curse his father or his mother was to be put to death. And Absalom had done that, but nothing seemingly has happened. The Bible says that a stubborn and a rebellious son was to be taken to the city gate and the men of the city was to stone him, but nothing had taken place. See, people come to a king for judgment. People come to a king in order for the wrongs to be righted. And the king executes justice. He executes judgment, whether it be unto death, whether it be unto banishment, whether it be unto the confiscating his goods or imprisonment. That's the role of the king. The Bible says that a divine sentence is in the lips of a king. We would expect a relationship with the king to be one where... The subjects would be under his authority and, and the king would be very rigid with his subjects and that the king would uphold the law and the king would demand justice. And the Bible says even the servants of a king know that there's no matter hid from the king. So what in the world is going on here? Because this subject isn't just a subject with his king. But he is a son that's with his father. Uh-huh. Any outside observer would agree through everything that Absalom had done and what he was currently doing. Any outside observer would agree. And David, as king, no doubt agrees <laughs> that Absalom should die. But the father side of David believes that in spite of Absalom's failures... In spite of Absalom's mistakes, in spite of Absalom being withdrawn, in spite of Absalom, amen, lacking the communication he should have had with his king, Absalom should be given a chance to live. I'm here to tell somebody today that you stand in a very similar role like Absalom, that you have a God that doesn't just serve as your king, but he is also your father. And whenever the king says by justice, amen, everything they've done wrong, every mistake they have made, 
made they should be judged for and justice should be served the father side of God steps in and says wait a minute I think in spite of their mistake in spite of their failure in spite of their flaws we should give them another chance thank God that the wish of the king or the wish of the father becomes the command of the king someone say amen Someone say yes. See, because originally, originally the king said, I will surely go forth. The king said, it's important to keep note of this. The king said, I will surely go forth with you myself also into this battle against Absalom and those that have come with him. I'm going to go as well. The people says, king, we can't have you going into the battle. We can't have you accompanying us. Because we got to consider your life. Everybody, if you go into battle, they're not going to be coming after us. They're going to be coming after you because you're the king. Everybody's going to attempt to kill you because you're the king. And so with that in mind, David gives his wish concerning Absalom. He's not going into the battle with king because the people won't allow it. But he gives his wish concerning Absalom. And he says something contrary to what we think a king would say to someone that's done what Absalom has done. He says, deal gently. Deal gently. David knows I can't go into battle right here. The people, amen, don't want their king going in battle right now. And so I can't ensure the life of Absalom with my presence being in the battle. He says, so I'll give a command in stand. Amen. The king no doubt as a king should was looking for justice but this king was looking at justice at the discretion of his father row. Oh somebody hear me today. I'm not telling you that God turns his head. God knows what you've done. He knows the mistakes you've made. He knows all the indiscretions. But with that knowledge as father, he says, let's give them another chance. Let's throw some love on them. Let's give them a little mercy. Let's give them a little grace. And I stand where I stand today because the king's command has come. But it's been the heart of the father that was speaking. So my presence can't ensure it, but perhaps my command will. <laughs> because everybody that was in that arena, when they heard it, it was the command of the king they heard. Though it may have been the desire of the father, it came forth as the command of the king. Someone say yes. And so there's a good possibility that in this battle, the only saving grace that Absalom may have is the fact that he's David's son. See, because David is a wonderful picture of our God. The Bible says that David's heart was perfect with the Lord his God. The Bible says that he went fully after the Lord his God. The Bible says, most of you know in other places, that he truly was a man after God's own heart. David was both a king and a father to Absalom. And God is both a king and a father to you and me. The Bible says in Luke 12 and verse 32, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples about that, that, that almighty God. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. You see what happened right there in that verse? He said, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. But folks, if the Father has a kingdom to give, He's more than a Father. He's a King. Because you don't have a kingdom without being a King. What he was telling them in that moment. You don't just have a God that's your father. But you have a God that is your king. Someone say amen. David confirms it over and over again in the scripture, recognizing that God was his king. If you'll allow me just a few verses here. Psalms 5 and 1, he says, 5 and 2, he says, Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king and my God. Psalms 44 and 4, thou art my king, O God. Psalms 47 and 6, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. Psalms 47 and 7, the God, for God is the king of all the earth. Psalms 68, 24, they have seen thy goings out, O God, even the goings of my God, my king, in the sanctuary. Psalms 74 and 12, for God is my king of old. Psalms 95 and three for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods David says God is also our king he's God but he serves in a robe to us as king Whenever Balaam saw Israel setting out there upon the land, he said and spoke. He said, the Lord, his God, is with him, Israel. And the shout of a king is among them. He said, God, God is with them. And the shout of a king. You know what he's saying? God is their king. Samuel, he demanded Israel's understanding when he went desiring when they went desiring a human king from Samuel, wanting a king to serve over them. Samuel, though, demanded some understanding from them. They wanted a king over them as of other nations, as other nations that were around them. And, and Samuel said this to pull back the cover for them to understand and grasp a hold of. He said, the Lord your God was your king. He said, you're searching for a human man to serve as a king. He said, but I'm telling you, before you ever had a human man to be your king, God was your king. Mm, someone say amen. Paul even admonished Timothy about the incarnate God or God who was in flesh known as Jesus Christ. He said, glory and honor should forever be given unto Jesus, the king eternal, the only wise God. So it's amen. So God is our king today. Because we live on the earth, just like David said. God is the king of all the earth. And since we live on the earth, God is our king. But not only is he our king, he is our father. God is our father by virtue of creation. Huh? Malachi poses the rhetorical questions. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? God is our father because he is the source of all things. He spoke all things into existence. His very breath made man a living soul. 
He's our Father. And those that have been born again of the water and of the Spirit of God even have Him as Father of their regeneration, of their born-again experience. He's your Father. Even Moses, after the great victory in the wilderness, had a little song that he put together. And in the song of the Moses, Moses said these words, The Lord our God is not he thy father that hath bought thee. Isaiah said, he's the almighty God. He's the everlasting father. Paul said, but to us there is but one God, the father. And when we pray, we cry and say, our father. He's my king, and he's my father. As a matter of fact, in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal, the story of the prodigal is the story of two boys with single-minded views of their father. The one that left viewed him as father and thought that him lived leaving and spending all his inheritance and goods on riotous living, he thought he had reached a stage where he was no more worthy. That's what the Bible says. That he was no more worthy to be called his son. Are you hear me? Listen to pastor this morning. Worth. Worth. Everybody say worth. Worth is never the measuring stick for sonship. Birth is. You hear me? Worth was never the measuring stick for sonship. Birth is. Yet on the other hand, we have another boy who is constantly serving his father. Constantly serving in the field. Serving him as a man would serve a king. And whenever there's the celebration back at the house because of the lost son coming back home, that son who was serving his father as a king, he gets angry when he sees him celebrating as a father over his lost brother. But the father comes out and reveals the tale to the son that had been serving him as king. He says, boy, you've been with me all along. You've been with me forever. In other words, listen to me this morning. Having God as our king and as our father isn't just about serving. It's also about times of celebrating. It's not just about serving God as king. It's about celebrating with God as our father. Someone say amen. And so here's Absalom. I mean, in all reality, he is public enemy number one in the kingdom. Absalom, by the definition of any other man, is an enemy of the king. But he never stopped being a son of his father. On the king's side of David, he's an enemy. But on the father's side of David, it's still his son. The Bible says, 2 Samuel 18, skipping down to verse number 12. They've been out to battle against Absalom and these conspirators. The Bible says in verse 12, And the man said unto Joab, This is a servant. This is a servant of David. David. 
the man said unto Joab, who's the captain of the host of the army, he says, though what happened, this miss, this servant has found Absalom strung between heaven and earth, his head caught in the tree. He's found this. And Joab's saying, you found him. Why didn't you kill him? And the servant says unto Joab, he said, though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand. He said, yet would I not put forth my hand. The servant got it. Watch what he does here. I should not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, you was there, Joab. I was there. In our hearing, note what he says. After he says the king's son. He said, the king charged. The king charged thee. And Abishai and Entai saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. The servant got it. The servant saw Absalom caught in that tree. He would not lay his hand upon him because he got it. That's the king's son. Whenever you say king's son, that little phrase brings both rows of David into the picture. He's king, but he's also a father to that boy. He's king, but he's also father to that boy. And not only is Absalom a subject of the king, but he's the son of David. And the servant understood something when he heard the king's command. Because that went against everything that a king of justice and judgment and law should say. There's something that the servant understood when I heard the king's command. Underneath the service, I heard the, the wish of a father, the desire of the father. But we got to be true because we received it as the command of the king. And we got to take the king's command. But I understand in that is the desire and the wish. Let me tell you something today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Terry McGee thinks ought to happen to me because of the laws and the legislation and everything in my life. It doesn't matter, amen, Brown, as an observer of my life, what he thinks should come to me. The power of the matter lies in the hand of the king, and I'm in a good position today because my king is also my father. And if the king wants to, if the king wants to command, amen, it's all okay. If the king wants to give a command saying keep your hand from it, that's okay because the desire of the father might be speaking through the command of the someone say amen that servant heard the father's wish deal gently but that deal gently for them had become the king's command he said to Job I wouldn't put forth my hand against the king's son we're in our hearing the king charge. King charged. You know what Joab did in spite of all this? Joab had Absalom killed. The servant got it. But Joab didn't quite seem that the wish of the father was the command of the king. Interesting to me that the name of Joab's father is nowhere mentioned in the scripture. His father's sepulcher is mentioned 
as being at Bethlehem, but nowhere is the name of his father mentioned. So it goes to reason as a result of this, because we see all kinds of fathers named in Scripture. I mean, even some that play not really major roles across the family, but the name of Joab, who was the captain of the host, who we see a lot in the story of David. His father is not mentioned. And so Joab is without a prominent father figure in his life. Matter of fact, as I read the scriptures, Joab suffered the loss of his father before he ever even started serving in the high capacity of the captain of the host of the army for David. He's without a father. With that being said then, Joab undoubtedly knew more about the role of the king than he did the role of the father. For that matter, we are even without evidence. I did great searching and researching of the scripture. We are without evidence that Job ever married or ever had children himself. You read of the children of Joab and Ezra and Nehemiah, but it's not the same Joab that was in the book of Genesis or in Samuel. Not the same Joab. And so we don't even ever read that Joab even had a wife or any children. In other words, he didn't have a prominent father figure and he never served in the capacity of a father. But he was constantly in contact with the relationship of a king. So he knows well the role of the king. It's judgment. It's justice. It's laying down the hammer. But he never experienced the role of a loving. A loving father. And so you can almost begin to wonder. You can almost begin to see that he just doesn't get it. He don't get it when David commands as king, deal gently. Because he only knows the role of a king. He hasn't been able to grapple with the the role of a father. For that matter, it's a little bit ironic to me. It's a little bit ironic to me. He didn't have a prominent father figure. He had never necessarily become a father himself. But his name, Joab, means God is father. Implanted, in, intricately woven into his own name was something that was trying to be revealed to him. Did have a father figure, had been a father himself, but there's something that, some telling that's trying to get through to him through his own name. God is father. Someone hear me. <laughs> but he didn't get it. And so since Joab didn't get it, you listening? Since he didn't get it, what Joab, because of his, his experience and what he's been exposed to, what Joab thought would bring joy to the king actually brought sorrow to the father. Because see, killing him, that's, that's what kings do. That's how justice is served. That's how judgment has come. But whenever you're only weighing heavy on one side, you won't realize what might bring joy to the king will bring sorrow to the father. Somebody hear me today. We don't allow, we'll allow ourselves to be lopsided in the world, in the church. And we'll rejoice whenever judgment comes over every individual because that's what should happen. 
If you don't watch yourself, you've divorced yourself though from the row of the Father as well. Because at the same time they go out lost, there's tears that's going down the eyes of the Father. Someone say amen. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 18 and verse 33. After this whole scenario, Joab has taken the life of Absalom. That looks like justice. That seems to be judgment. That's what should have been coming to him. But the king is commanded because of the wish of the father side of him. Deal gently. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, 33, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and looked and wept as he went. The king, everybody say the king. The king was much moved and wept. You hear me? And wept. What are you saying to me? I'm telling you this. I guarantee you the tears that came off the face of the king came from the eyes of a father. The Bible says, thus he said, because look what, this is in, in the context of the king. Thus he said, oh my son, Absalom. My son, he's not saying my subject. Not saying my servant, the king that was moved and weeping is saying, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. See, victory this day had a bitter taste. Because although the enemy of the king had been defeated, although the enemy of the king had been killed, so likewise had the son of the father. See, this wasn't simply a victory over an enemy. This was the loss of a son. More particularly, it was the loss of a son while he was estranged from his father. Surely today, I know God's word. Many of you know God's word. God's word tells me that a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Who is our king? But that does not mean, listen to me well, that does not mean God as our Father relishes losing you at that stage of being separated from Him. Scripture says, on the other hand, He's not willing. Huh? He's not willing. That any should perish. Why? Because the Father's wish becomes the King's command. If you'll stand with me today, and I'll try to wrap this thing up and put a bow on it, Brother Mason. See, the love of David as a father. 
was the love for the unworthy. You hear me? A love for the utterly unworthy. The love of David as a father was the love that gives chance after chance after chance. It was the love that stays the hand of justice of the king, offering mercies upon mercies and grace upon grace. It's the fatherly love of God that causes, hear me, it's the fatherly love of God that causes the king to leave his mighty throne in glory and answer the king's judgment for all humanity. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying God as king says man is sinning. The wages of sin is death. He should die. There should be judgment. There should be justice. This is what needs to happen. My anger needs to be appeased because of his actions. That's what God as king said. But God as father said, can we give him another chance? Can we make a way where he can survive all of this and get past his wrongs? And so there's this struggle here. The king says there needs to be judgment, but the father says there needs to be another chance. The king says he should die. The father says, I think he should live. And you know what happened? God then came down in the man Christ Jesus and he took the judgment that the father wanted to give and he protected the love that the father wanted to show and so the love of the father caused the king to leave his throne The love of the Father caused the king to leave his throne and come down as the Son of God. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. What's happening? The king's getting his judgment. But at the same time, the Father, the Father is safeguarding some love. Because three days in the tomb, he's coming out of the ground. What David say about Absalom whenever he finds out he's dead and all this? He said, would to God I would die for thee. Would to God I would have died for thee. And you know what God stands back and says in the New Testament? I did just that. In doing so, the king's justice was executed, but the father's love was preserved. Why? Because the real thrust of it all, folks, is the father wants his children dealt gently with, if by all means possible. If we come to judgment day and you don't experience that, It'll be because you have trampled all over on the heart of your father during your earthly life. And you have rejected mercy, grace, time and time and time and time again. Because as we're living upon this earth, I guarantee you, the father's wish is trying to be the king's command in your life. I know they did bad, but let's just give them a little grace. I know that was wrong, but let's spare them right here. But there will come a day that the father will have to step back and the king will have to come to the forefront. 
and execute judgment. But until that time, the king's command has been by the wish of your father. He wants you to be dealt gently with. He wants to see you saved. The Bible says this. David said in Psalms, God in his holy habitation was a father of the fatherless. There's an aspect about God that from eons of time ago, he wanted to make sure that the fatherless was cared for, were taken care of. Many times through Old Testament history, we see where God has provided sheaves for the fatherless and the widows. Oil for the fatherless and the widows. Grapes for the fatherless and the widows. He made those provisions. Watch me now. He made those provisions for them. How? By his law. He said, whenever you go and you reap your harvest, you don't do the corners. Who's that going to be for? The fatherless and the widows. He said, in your vineyards, he said, you take whatever is falling. Don't go start just plucking things off. That's for the, what's by his law. By his law, he made that available. But listen to me. Making laws is the act of a king. But the laws that were made by the king were prompted by the love of a father that couldn't spare seeing somebody be fatherless and says, I'll be a father to you. Again, folks, if we embow our heads in this place, until judgment day comes, you can expect God as our father to be indulgent, if you want to call it that, toward his children. Oft times allowing his natural affections to override or at least stall his judgments. But if we ever die in our sins, if we ever die in our sins and find ourselves in hell, we will have went there on our own, all alone. Denying the wish of our Father and quite frankly disobeying the command of our King. Deal gently, he's saying today. Deal gently, he's saying today. There might be people sitting under the sound of my voice. You're separated. You're separated from your Father right now. As scripture says at other times, Absalom was not, didn't have entrance into the throne room before the king's face. That may be you this morning, but I guarantee you today, the command of the king is coming sure from the heart of the father. He's saying, deal gently with that one. I know they're wayward right now. I know they've made some choices and decisions that have not been too good. They've been bad. And by everything written in the law, I just should bring down the hammer. They, they should be cut off. They should be separated totally from me. Never allowed entrance again. But there's a father side of me that says, give them another chance. Give them another chance. Pour love upon them one more time. Pour love upon them one more time. And so we stand where we stand today. Because the king's command has come from the heart of the father. Oh, if there's anybody in this place, if there's any Absaloms in this house, 
that have made some bad decisions. If there's any Absaloms in this house that feel estranged and separated from your king, your father. If there's any Absaloms in this place that you know just as well as I do. You don't deserve another chance. You don't deserve the mercy. You don't deserve the grace. If there's any of them in this place, I'm asking you today, come run into your king. Come run into your father. Hallelujah, because his word, his heart, when he cries for you, it's fallen down the king's face, but it's coming from the eyes of the father. He's here today. He wants you to be dealt gently with. He wants to caress you. He wants things to be made of men. He's crying, my son, my son, whoever you may be, or my daughter, my daughter, whoever you may be. These altars are open this morning. Come on, sir. If you're not in that place today, but you want to come to the, to, the, to the altar today because you serve God as your king, but you want to come to the front today because you want to celebrate with your father and just be thankful for those tender hands. Be thankful for those benefits that he loads you down daily with. Be thankful for the laws that he's put in place. Amen. So that he can be a father to you. Amen. These altars are open because again, it's not just about serving him as our king. It's about celebrating with him as our father as well. Come on, sir. Come on, man. I'm not making any more plea. I'm not going to pull on you and beg and all that. It's up to you today. But God is our king and he is our father. Just the same as David was both king and father to Absalom. But I wish through the voice of the king you could hear the plea of your father for you today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.